Well, hey, good morning. How we doing? Grab your, wow, we got a, a wild crowd. It must be like Coast Guard week or something. Um, do me a favor. Um, take your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 3. Were some of you outside my house like 2 a.m. yelling, was that you? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, living downtown Grand Haven, it's a fun week. Uh, Proverbs 3. A few weeks, well, actually it was a few years ago, um, a guy at our church, Jeff Stuck, um, asked me to go golfing with him, take kind of a buddy's golf trip, and we were going to go down to Pinehurst, North Carolina. If you need a Bible, there's ushers coming down the rows. Just raise your hand. But so he asked me to go to North Carolina. I had never done a trip like this with Jeff before, and uh, they were driving down from Michigan. I couldn't drive. I had obligations earlier in the day that we were supposed to arrive. So I'm like, I'll just fly down and I'll meet you. So I booked a flight into Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. It was a late flight. I was only going to get in at around 11 p.m. And then it's about an hour, hour and 10 minute drive to Pinehurst. So it works. I was going to meet them 6.30 the next morning for breakfast. So flew into Raleigh, North Carolina. My plane was delayed about an hour and a half. I got in at about 12.30 p.m. So now I'm frustrated. I've got this drive. It's going to be late. I'm not going to get a ton of sleep. So I take my phone and my MapQuest. I quickly just punch in the street address to where I'm going, put in the numbers, it's McLean Street, I remember that. A, a guess is an address, it's about an hour, hour and five minutes away, my phone says it'll take me that long to get there, I go, well that's got to be it, punch it in, off I go. And I drive maybe 55 minutes, an hour, and I'm like, this isn't right. I'm winding through these dark roads at night, there's no signs I'm like, I'm in the middle of nowhere, but I'm stubborn. I'm going to follow my GPS. What options did I have at that point? And uh, I finally get to McLean Street. I'm about three miles from my destination, and it's a dirt road. And I start going down the dirt road. I lose cell service. So now I, I know I'm on the right road, but I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go, and I'm navigating this dirt road. And I finally get to my destination, and... I'm in Virginia. <laughs> I've gone the wrong way out of Raleigh, North Carolina. I've actually gone north instead of south. And, and I don't remember the name of the town that I was in, but they've shot horror movies there, that I'm sure of. It, <laughs> it had no electricity. There were these candles in the windows. I think I saw shadowy figures. I'm like, get me out of here. But I didn't even know how to get back. I had to just kind of backtrack as best I could remember because I couldn't get cell service. So finally I get cell service and now I realize I'm two and a half hours away from the resort that I wanted to get to that should have only taken me an hour. Over the next two and a half hours I resolve, I'm going to have a good attitude about this. I'm gonna, it's not going to affect the next few days. And I pull into Pinehurst Resort, I get there about 5.15, I'm going to meet these guys in about 75 minutes for breakfast. And I go to check in and he goes, sir, we don't have a reservation for you. I pull out my confirm, I hand him the confirm. He goes, well, but that was for last night. You didn't check in, so the reservation got canceled. And I go, well, that's okay. I'm pretty positive you have a room available. Can I just redo the reservation? And he looks at me and he's like, sure, but we don't have early check-in. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no way to make a new reservation for yesterday. Make wise choices, make wise choices, make wise choices. I, I don't know if I was saying that loud, but I was saying it inside my head. And, and, and there's moments, there's seasons, there's going to be times of testing. 
where we have to make choices along the path of life of how we're going to respond. Last week, Jake kicked off this series on Proverbs on wisdom, and he looked at a verse called Proverbs, or in Proverbs 1, 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So often you'll see this in the book of Proverbs. There's two choices in just one verse. It's like, hey, this is what a wise person does, or this is the beginning of knowledge, and here's how a fool responds. Throughout the book of Proverbs, here's wisdom, here's foolishness. Uh, Solomon is pleading with his son, don't be a fool. Make wise choices. If you make wise choices, life is going to go more smoothly for you. Over the next few weeks in this series, we're going to get really specific. It's going to become topical very quickly, all based in Proverbs. We're going to be looking at specific topics like anger, friendship, work, and laziness. Uh, Our tongues, how we talk, what we talk about, sexual purity. This morning, a little bit of a broader theme, if I could. Um, It's really important that we're wise about the way that we approach wisdom literature. The big idea this morning is simply this. Wisdom is not just which path, but why. Not just which path, but why. Again, just in review, Jake last week said, hey, there's two paths. There's two ways that you can live your life. Two choices you can make. You, You can choose wisdom that will lead you to godliness or righteousness, or you can choose the path of foolishness that will lend you up in Virginia. (laughs) It will lead to a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty. In Proverbs 3, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. We're just going to look at verses 5 through 12 this morning. I'm also going to jump and put on the screen a couple times a parallel passage from Proverbs 30, but it says in Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So again, there's a contrast there in 3, 5. And the question that it's asking, it's saying, who will you trust? You can either trust in the Lord, again, with all of your heart. That word trust, it it actually means to lay face on the ground. I, I am in complete surrender. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to surrender to what he wants me to do with my full hearts. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. See, that's the contrast. Which one of those paths are you going to choose? Are you going to trust in what the Lord says, or are you going to trust in what you believe to be right? Last week, Jake kind of described foolish choices by saying, it's our attempt to live a self-directed or self-centered life. Right away, you've got this contrast. Then we read, it says this in verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path or straight, and he will make straight your paths. That word acknowledge simply means to um, voice or to admit the truth. The idea that's saying, I will recognize, I will yield, I will say that God's way is better than my way. He's got a better perspective, he's got greater wisdom. I'm going to acknowledge that. And it says, and he will make straight your paths. That word straight could also be translated in some translations. It's, it's that your path will be gentle. So, so, hey, just a question. True or false statement? You guys can judge. True or false? If, if I choose the path of wisdom, I will suffer less pain and suffering in this world. True or false? We're going to try that again. I, I, maybe, I, maybe I said it wrong. Maybe you're answering wrong. Maybe you're smarter this morning than I think. If we choose the path of wisdom... We will save ourselves a world of trouble. I'll do it that way. True or false? 
Okay, see, I changed it. You guys answered right. You answered right the first time, but I asked it wrong. My bad. So you will save yourself trouble if you're on, if you choose the path of wisdom. There's absolutely no doubt. And then verse 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That word fear, it kind of encompasses two things. Fear, to be afraid, but it also is awe, reverence aware of the awesomeness of God, so you yield, you submit, you say, his way is better than mine. I want to do the things that please him. And this is in turn away from evil, this idea that you move in a different direction. You leave Virginia. You start heading towards Pinehurst. And actually, it's interesting. One of the commentaries I read said it, it, it suggests a circular motion, that what you've done is you've changed what your life orbs around, what it orbits. It no longer orbits around your own selfish desires, but you're saying, I'm going to set my life on a path that orbits around the things of the Lord. Living wisely involves not only what we think, but what we do. And I would just say generally, as we go through life, there are going to be critical seasons Seasons of testing, moments of decision that will determine whether or not we walk a path of wisdom or foolishness. Like, like by the time I got to Pinehurst Resort and was trying to check in, I was, I was in a sea of stupid. Could we just agree? But it didn't start when I arrived at the resort. It started back at the airport when I hastily entered the destination. Maybe it started all the way back in Michigan when I chose to go with stuck. Who knows? Okay, but there was a series of bad decisions that I made that eventually put you in a position where it's like, no, I can just redirect my path and off I go. Often you have to backtrack. It makes the way more painful, more difficult. But there are certain seasons, certain times, certain tests that we encounter. I want to speak about two tests this morning. The first is this, seasons of prosperity. Seasons of prosperity. It says in Hebrew, or Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. When wealth, when success, when acclaim comes our way, how will we respond? See, that will be a test of the path that we're choosing. In times of prosperity, who will get the credit? Who will be honored? Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. It's interesting, I'll put this verse on the board or on the screen, Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30 isn't written by Solomon. It's written by a guy we don't know a lot about. His name is Agur, A-G-U-R. All of chapter 30 is some of his wise sayings, definitely God's word. He says this in Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Here's the two things. He says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then what he asks next is interesting. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with what is needful for me. And then verse 9, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? So, so this guy's saying, dude, don't give me the test of prosperity. I don't want to take that test. Because I'm fearful that if you give me prosperity, I might fail it. I might start entertaining some foolish thinking. Well, what would be the foolish thinking that he entertains? It's right there in verse 9. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? See, the problem when we come through a season of prosperity, when things are going our way, when we're experiencing success, we begin to ask ourselves this question, who is the Lord? 
Who needs them? I'm full. I'm satisfied. I'm happy. And in seasons of prosperity, all of a sudden we can enter without realizing a very foolish path of saying we are completely self-sufficient. Who needs the Lord? We begin to think that we've earned this, that we deserve it, that we're better than others. In Luke 12, Jesus tells a parable, very similar point Jesus is trying to make. He says he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? It's interesting, as you go through this parable, look at how many times we see that word I. He says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Not a lot of consideration so far of what God would have him do. Would you agree? My barns, my produce. I will do this. I will do this. And then in verse 20, but God said to him, fool. He'd wandered onto the foolish path. Why? Because he failed the test of prosperity. Jesus says this night his soul would be required of him and the things that he had prepared, whose will they be? Then he says in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Listen, the point this morning is not to uh, encourage you to give. It's not to encourage you to be more generous. The point is simply this, don't be a fool. And understand that when you enter seasons of prosperity, these are going to be moments for the believer, for the unbeliever, that you have to choose. Am I going to choose a wise response or am I going to choose a foolish response? Am I going to acknowledge the Lord in this season? Am I going to deflect honor and glory to him? Or am I going to become self-consumed, self-absorbed? And the problem is if you fail the test of adversity, it's not very pretty. Cynthia Heimel, she was a uh, woman who lived in New York. She was a socialite. She kind of covered the social scene in the neighborhood of Soho. She wrote for magazines like the New York, the New Yorker, Vogue, The Village Voice. She said this about some of the celebrities. She had encountered a lot of celebrities early in their careers and then watched them gain great fame. And here's one of the things she said. It's a little dated, but listen. She said, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Barbara Streisand were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now their wrath is awful. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. She said, you see, Sly, Bruce, and Barbara, they wanted fame. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to make them or provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened and they were still just them. The disillusionment turned them into howling and insufferable. Be careful when you experience seasons of prosperity. Those are seasons that will test your resolve Make wise choices. In seasons of adversity or in prosperity, we need to be alert. If you're experiencing a season of prosperity now, here's just a couple questions to ask yourself. Do you see it as God's blessing or an outflow of your own awesomeness? 
Is God getting the glory or are you? Has it increased your gratitude? For some, seasons of blessings produce gratitude and generosity. In general, here's a question. Are you a grateful person? Like when people see you, they're like, man, that person is always so thankful. They're just so grateful. Is that you? I don't even like the question because it reveals something about my own heart. I don't think there's a lot of people running around going, oh, Pastor Dave, man, that guy, grateful. That's his banner. Are we grateful people? Are we generous people? Proverbs eleven twenty four says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. What, a, what an interesting proverb. Exactly opposite of how we would think that it would work in our economy. We would think, well, the guy who keeps giving all this stuff away, he's going to end up with less. And the guy that holds on to it, he's going to end up in more. And what God's saying in this proverb through Solomon is he's saying, listen, my economy is the exact opposite. I see. I'm the rewarder. And he goes, when you give stuff away, when you're generous, you're going to end up with more. It's when you hoard, when you withhold, that you will suffer want. So the first test is prosperity. You've probably guessed what the second is. It's the opposite. It's adversity. And you guys were so on this when I misasked the question earlier. If, if, if I make wise choices, aren't I going to avoid all adversity? Absolutely not. Those who are on the path of wisdom, those who are on the path of foolishness, those who are trusting in the Lord as their Savior, those who don't know the Lord, everyone is going to experience seasons of prosperity and seasons of adversity. Seasons when everything's going your way and seasons when nothing is going your way. God never promised us a trouble-free life that we would experience personal success, that we would have a happily ever after here on earth. See, the danger is some will teach. All you've got to do is choose the Lord, follow the Lord, call him a savior, and then everything goes your way. You'll be rich, you'll be healthy, everybody will love you, no conflict. And the problem with that heresy is simply this. What happens when the Christian experiences trials and adversity and disease? I was in my early 30s when my oldest sister, Kathy, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, and I remember my, my sister Kathy, she was at our church, she was in a small group, and, and a bunch of the ladies in her small group uh, wanting to pray for her, wanting to minister to her, came to her and said, you know, Kathy, I think what we've got to deal with is maybe there's some sin in your life, and, and maybe that's the cause of your illness, and maybe if you just got yourself right with the Lord, then he would heal you. Really? Same thing that Job's friends did to him in the book of Proverbs. Job goes through calamity and adversity, and his friends come along, and they say, those who sow iniquity, this is what they reap. Like, hey, thank you. That was awesome. No, everybody goes through. The Bible doesn't just hint at it. It promises it. In James 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When you, not if you meet trials, when you meet trials... John 6, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. The NIV says trouble. You'll have trouble or tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Life's going to be full of adversity. It's going to be full of trials. You want a recent example? I'll give you one. I preached this message last night. I went home, I said, Kristen, how'd it go? She goes, you didn't make a lot of sense. Adversity. Make wise choices, right? And so we worked through the parts that was confusing. By the way, she was right. She usually is. 
So I got up early this morning, working on my message, trying to make it make more sense. I turn on the TV, and I'm watching a guy preach. I won't give you his name. Maybe I, No, I won't. Prosperity gospel. Hey, if you're just right with the Lord, then you wouldn't have to worry about your disease. Hey, order my book. If you're in a wheelchair, if you're in a hospital bed, just do this. God will heal. No, nonsense. We all go through seasons of prosperity. We all go through seasons of adversity. Even in Proverbs 3, back to kind of our home text, look at verse 11. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Verse 12, for the Lord reproves him who he loves. He doesn't say some who I love. He said the Lord's going to reprove you if he loves you. He is like a father. He is disciplined. He loves you way too much to leave you untested and unrefined. For the Lord reproves him he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I believe the verses that are talking about honor the Lord with your wealth and your barns will be full. Then these verses following it basically saying the Lord is going to discipline you. I don't think that's haphazard. I think Solomon in his wisdom are putting these verses side by side to say there's going to be seasons of prosperity. There's going to be seasons of adversity in both seasons. Those are going to be tests. Make wise choices. Tim Keller said this. He said, no matter who you are, even if you're as close to God as you can possibly be, you will experience prosperity and adversity, success and suffering, everything going your way, nothing going your way. Seasons of trial, listen, when responded to well, it can make us more dependent on God. It can make us more reliant on what is true. It can make us recognize that even in the most difficult seasons, God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. But the problem is, those seasons can also lead to disappointment if we don't see them as tests, if we fail the test. Again, Proverbs 30, back on the screen, we looked at this. It says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's the test of prosperity. And then it says this, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what's the danger in a season of adversity? That we're going to take things into our own hands. We're tired of waiting on the Lord. We're going to get done what it needs to get done. And we're going to get angry at God because life isn't fair. And this shouldn't be happening to us. And the fear is that we'll develop some really foolish thinking. How do you respond in seasons of adversity in the face of trials when you are suffering injustice? How do you respond when you're just too busy? When you're tired? But like these seasons of adversity, it's going to make very, very clear which path you are choosing. Are you going to follow the way of wisdom or foolishness? Do you guys remember like 2020? Do you guys remember that? Yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? Little adversity. How do we do as a culture? How do we do in America as the church? Infighting, complaining, failing to submit to authority. Nobody tells anybody what to do. And I mentioned that for this reason. The Bible's very clear. Jesus is talking about his second coming in Matthew 24. And he says this, there's going to come for the church times of persecution, times of adversity, times of suffering. And it says because of this suffering, the love of um, many will grow, cold, will grow cold and most will turn away. See, adversity is going to sift the church. 
And this is why in Revelation 2 and 3, as John writes seven letters to seven churches, some of them faithful and some of them just rogue. To all the churches in the context of Christ's second return, he's saying, listen, you've got to be an overcomer. You have to endure to the end. It's the one who endures to the end that will be saved. Well, if you've got to overcome something, adversity is implied. Believers do not get a hall pass on suffering or adversity, but it will be a test to see what path we choose to follow. So if you're in a season of adversity, here's some questions. Are you viewing yourself as a victim or a child of a king? Are you viewing yourself as a victim or a child of the king? Does your view of God rest on your circumstances? Do you have a low view of God when you go through a valley? Do you have a high view of God when you find yourself on the mountaintop? Does your, does your testimony of God's goodness disappear or does it shine through seasons of adversity? So two paths, wisdom and foolishness, two tests, prosperity and adversity. I want to give you two gospel truths. Two gospel truths. These are important, and it makes what the gospel teaches about wisdom, about foolishness, and about these paths, it makes it all um, very, very important and very, very different than other religions. Here's the first one. The path you choose doesn't save you. The path you choose doesn't save you. Do not think that it has, we are seeing Solomon appeal to his son and then through the sovereignty of God's word, the book of Proverbs appealed to us that whether we choose the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness, that's what gets us home. That's what saves us. Last Saturday, I was in Palatine, Illinois. Now, I grew up somewhat near Palatine, Illinois. It's the western suburbs of Chicago, northwest suburbs. It was Saturday afternoon and we had to get back to Grand Haven. So my son's like, do you want me to drive? And I'm like, no, I'll drive till we get through the city. Then you can drive. It was Christopher, my youngest, me and um, my wife, Kristen. And so I begin, to co- you know, I begin to calculate because I grew up in Chicago. This is kind of my home turf. There's a bunch of different ways to get back to Michigan from Palatine. You, you can take the Kennedy into downtown Chicago and then take the Skyway. That's probably the most direct route. But the problem with that is it's in the middle of the afternoon. Do the Cubs have an afternoon game? Because that's going to be a nuts. Is there a festival downtown? Like, what am I going to run into if I go downtown? So, so I can also take 355 south to I-80. I avoid the entire city. I go all around it. But that's the longest route. Or I can kind of take the Kennedy just past O'Hare, and I can take 294, and that's okay. But that can get real janky down by Indiana. So I'm trying to figure out which is the fastest way. And all of a sudden I look, and in my car, Christopher has synced his phone to my computer system in the car. He's driving my screen up front. That's so annoying. (laughs) And he's put on Apple CarPlay, and he goes, follow this. Go that way. I go, why? He goes, because we'll be home in three hours and 32 minutes. I'm like, that's the stupidest way. I'd never choose that way. And he goes, Dad, this already calculates all the traffic. Follow this way. Like, like, Apple CarPlay is the path of wisdom. You realize that, right? <laughs> like, like, it's there. It knows. But, but here's what I would say, and hopefully you guys get this. You can put in where you are, and you can put in the address where home is. And Apple CarPlay, through its wisdom, will get you there, avoiding the most traffic and bumps and construction that it can. But it doesn't decide where home is. I made that choice 30 years ago when we moved from Chicago to Michigan to raise our kids. 
Wisdom gets you from here to home. It doesn't decide where home is. See, the problem is in other religions, in other, there's wisdom literature in a lot of different religions. My daughter Catherine's teaching a class on Wednesday night on world religions. And almost every world religion has its own wisdom literature. Some of it actually sounds quite similar. But other religions are proposing in their wisdom literature, live this way, do these things. This is how you do it. And if you do it well, you get to go to the highest heaven. You get to avoid another round of reincarnation. You get to enter nirvana. Whatever their goal or objective is, the way that you get there is by the choices that you make along the path. That's not how biblical wisdom literature works. It's saying this is what a wise follower of Jesus will do, but never believe that's the choice that gets you home. What the gospel constantly reminds us of is no matter how hard we try to make wise choices, we're always going to fall short. We're always going to make mistakes. And God loves us in spite of us. There's no other religion that presents God as a savior who's walked the path that we can't walk in our place. There's no other religion that our destiny is not just decided by what we choose or how we choose to navigate life, but it's based off a God and a Savior who chose us and then empowers us to make wise choices. Don't confuse wisdom literature with a way to make God happy with you. He loves you in spite of you. The path doesn't save you. And then a second thing, we will stay centered when we focus on the gospel. How do we pass the test of prosperity? We focus on the gospel. We preach truth to ourselves. When we are tempted in seasons to become prideful, to become self-reliant, we get back to the gospel. We read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you're saved through faith. And that's not even of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast counters our pride. We're reminded what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 9, where he says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understand and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Listen, we inform our decisions during seasons of testing by returning to what the gospel says is true. It doesn't matter a bit what the world thinks of us in seasons of prosperity. The truth underlying it all, we're just sinners saved by grace. That's the gospel. How do we pass the test of adversity? How do we guard our hearts in seasons where we lean towards despair when we struggle with low self-esteem? When we sense that we're developing a victim's mentality, well, the way you do it is you focus on the gospel. You preach truth to yourself. In those seasons, we're reminded of what it says in Romans 8, where it says, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And then he goes on, I'm sure that neither... Death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
1 John 3, 1 says, See, like behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. These are the gospel truths that we preach to ourselves in seasons of adversity that will keep us on the path of wisdom. We affirm ourselves in seasons of adversity with the gospel. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this. You ever look at the words that we sing before the preaching starts? Why do we pick the songs that we pick? Well, this morning we sang this song, Highlands. A lot of you guys like it. It says this, I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. There it is. In seasons of prosperity, in seasons of adversity, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm fixing my eyes on the gospel. That's my hope. It's what keeps me and holds me steady. So as we close just this, practically, how do we make wise choices? I'm just going to pick one proverb, one topic. I'm going to put it on the screen. I want to show you specifically how we do that. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Here's all that proverb is saying. It's creating the contrast between what the righteous heart does versus the evil heart. And it's basically saying, quit saying stupid and harmful things so quickly. That's the what. A wise person holds his tongue. He doesn't just spill out hurtful and stupid things. That's the what. How do we do it? Okay, we know what the wise choice is. What empowers us to do it? We focus on the gospel. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him, speaking of Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you will not grow weary and faint-hearted. How do I hold my tongue? I remember my Savior. I'm reminded what he would have me do. How did Jesus respond? In similar circumstances, 1 Peter 2 says this, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, that means made to be the villain. He was villainized. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Okay, so we get the wisdom in Proverbs. Quit talking so fast. Don't say stupid and hurtful things quickly. How do we do it? We look to Jesus. It's interesting. This past week, I was struggling with a decision. I was trying to figure out what was the wise course of action and um, just wrestling. And I, and I picked up the phone and I called Eric Klingel. He's the pastor up at Harvest in Fremont. And he was on staff here. We've been friends for several years. And I started to describe the situation that I was kind of wrestling with. And I'm like, Eric, I can do this. And if I do this, then that's where it leads. And if I do this, this is where that's kind of where that will lead. Kind of like trying to figure out how to get home from Palatine. A lot of different choices, a lot of different options. None of them wrong, trying to figure out which is wise. And what Eric said to me in response, man, it was wisdom. He goes, David, he goes, turn to, turn to 2 Timothy 3. And I'm like, why am I turning to 2 Timothy 3? Well, because I think it's a parallel to what you're going through. And, and, and let's look here and let's look at what it says and let's see how to apply it. I'm telling you what, that's a wise friend. When, when, when you come to the crossroads, when you're saying, am I going to make a foolish choice or a wise choice? You pause for a minute and say, what does God's word say? How can I apply it? You preach the gospel. 
Proverbs is not just about making wise or foolish choices. It's about why we make those choices. And the reason we make it is because we have a Savior who's already walked the path of wisdom perfectly that we cannot do. And we're saying we're leaning on you for daily guidance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this study. And as we get into specifics, Father, protect our minds, protect our hearts. This is not a contest. We are not trying to win your approval. Father, way too much time wasted trying to win what we already possess. Father, we sing the praises of your son. May we sing those praises in all seasons. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.